You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. This episode's guests are Cece Connolly, President and CEO of the Alliance of Community Health Plans, or ACHP, and Jenny Whitman, Senior Manager of Public Policy for ACHP. Cece and Jenny speak with Edition Health IT's hosts, Pooja Babra and Jocelyn Keegan, about ACHP's perspective on working on building trust between payers and providers and why that's important, how price transparency policy is translating into real-world changes, and the cultural shift happening as more data becomes shareable. We hope you find today's episode informative and helpful. If you have topic ideas you'd like us to cover in future episodes, be sure to share them with us by emailing us at podcast at POCP.com or tweeting us at POCPHIT. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dish on Health IT, where we invite health IT leaders and trailblazers to break down and discuss some of health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones. We at Point of Care Partners are health IT consultants who work with stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem and are viewed as an independent trusted party, like Switzerland. So I'm Pooja Barbara, Senior Consultant and Pharmacy and PBM Lead here at Point of Care Partners, and I'll be your host for this episode, filling in for Ken Kleinberg, who's out on a vacation, which for him always means a great epic adventure. But we're not jealous because today, my colleague and co-host, Jocelyn Keegan, and I are excited to welcome our special guest, Cece Connolly, President and CEO of the Alliance of Community Health Plans, or ACHP, and Jenny Whitman, Senior Manager of Public Policy for ACHP. We'll be discussing the perspective and work on building trust between payers and providers and why that's important and how price transparency policy is translating into real-world changes and also the cultural shift that's happening as more data becomes shareable. But before we jump into our discussion, I'd like to have Jocelyn briefly introduce herself and tell us what she's looking forward to learning from today's guest. Joss? Awesome. Thanks, Pooja. I'm super excited to have both Ginny and Cece here. Uh, I had the good fortune of actually presenting at their conference in May and getting to meet a lot of the community members at ACHP. Um, we'll dig into that in a little bit. My uh, background is I'm a, also a senior consultant with Point of Care Partners. I'm our payer practice lead uh, and have been here for six years now, which is amazing. And my focus is on interoperability, payer, provider, really the convergence of sharing clinical data and um, getting prior authorizations and things like that done in a more automated way. It's really intriguing to me as someone who considers myself a change agent to really understand sort of how that the, the community health plan um, world and the players there are really grappling with the work that's ahead of us you know, as we're moving into this world, um, I think of really interoperability becoming a reality between payers and providers um, and look forward to today's discussion. Great. Thanks, Joss. So I'm going to turn it over to our guests to introduce themselves. Uh, Cece Conley, President and CEO of ACHP, and Ginny Whitman, Manager of Public Policy for ACHP. Can you please introduce yourself and uh, include how you came to work with ACHP? Sure, maybe I'll uh, start us off. I'm Cece Connolly. I'm president and CEO of the Alliance of Community Health Plans and Pooja and Jocelyn. Thank you for having us on today. Um, big, important topics to discuss, really big. And fortunately, we've got our resident expert, Jenny. So I'll probably be doing a lot of learning and listening in this podcast. 
but happy to be with all of you today. Just very quickly, how did I end up in this uh, very fortunate position that I have been in for about six and a half years now? I spent 25 years in the journalism world, or as I like to say, I'm an ink-stained wretch. And it was uh, sort of later in the reporting career when I was focused on healthcare writing at the Washington Post and covered the enactment of the Affordable Care Act, did a quick book with my colleagues on the passage of the ACA, and at that point really had the healthcare bug and decided that after 25 years in journalism, having a terrific ride and so many great experiences, I was going to go for a second act. So I headed over to McKinsey, helped set up that Center for Health Reform with a dear friend, Bob Kocher, led the Health Research Institute at PwC, and finally got to ACHP, where I am really fortunate to have an amazing set of members, a team, and everything is just aligned in sort of what I believe in and where we're trying to take the healthcare system. So I'm a lucky girl these days. Great. Thanks, Cece. It's always fun to catch that uh, that healthcare bug. So <laughs> great. Uh, Ginny, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks again for having us. I'm thrilled to be talking about this subject. As Cece knows, it is probably my favorite subject to talk about, and I bring it up pretty much any chance I get. So I've been with ACHP uh, almost four years now, uh, which feels like a fantastic and wild ride that has gone by so fast. And about a few months into starting at ACHP, a dear friend and colleague threw me into the world of health IT policy. And now here we are. <laughs> so so uh, it's been a quick learning curve for the last three and a half years, really getting into the details and understanding what our health plans need in this space. Um, and what are the pain points, and uh, where can they excel and be different and do wonderful and creative things for their communities. So it's been just an absolute blast working in this space. Fantastic. Well, I know our audience is really going to enjoy this one. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and jump in, um, you know, and I, I think just to start with, I'd love to hear a little bit more about ACHP um, and where the organization has been focused recently. Um, and if you could talk a little bit about your your uh, near future goals, that would be great. Let's start there. And Cece, do you want to go ahead and start? Yep, I'm happy to uh, get started. So a little bit about ACHP. Our member criteria is essentially also our mission. We represent in Washington, D.C., the not-for-profit provider-aligned regional health plans. Many of those are plans that are in big integrated systems across the country that you're all familiar with, but many are also smaller, local in their communities, but again, they have these very tight relationships with the provider community, often heading in the direction of risk arrangements. Uh, so very close alignment. And we think that that model is the bright future for healthcare um, because it is grounded in community. We are very much about uh, access for all in the communities. We're very focused on health as opposed to acute care. And you see a lot of this really kind of come to life in a very specific way in our Roadmap 2030. This was a, a, a blueprint, if you will, for the next decade that was set by our board of directors, all of our CEOs, there are many uh, elements in that roadmap that we can talk about today, including, of course, really serving the consumer, meeting the member where they are. And that gets into many of the topics that you focus on, transparency, uh, data, um, sharing that data, getting the information that consumers and providers need to succeed at their jobs, 
I'd also just mention affordability is a big focus for us. We do a report each year on affordability, and we have taken a pledge on two chronic diseases, diabetes and cardiovascular, to start to move the needle in our members' communities on those. So it really all kind of comes together nicely. I'll just flag we're, um, we're happy these days because uh, there was some terrific action in Congress with the Inflation Reduction Act. We are seeing some very concrete steps when it comes to affordability of coverage and care in that now law that was just recently signed by President Biden. Some of those provisions are around drug price pricing. That is a real pain point for our members and, of course, the members that they serve in their communities, and also very pleased with the Enhanced Affordable Care Act subsidies. We know that those working Americans who are buying on the individual exchanges, that is a target group that needs that financial help in order to keep its coverage. So those are a couple of the immediate things, and I know we'll get into many more. That's great. Wonderful. So let's dig into our first topic. Um, one of the themes of a recent ACHP event seemed to be about building trust between payers and providers. And, you, you know, you talked about that was, you know, really kind of your, your mission around this. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And, um, you know, what's your assessment on the level of kind of historic trust between payers and providers? And what, you know, what is making it important to redefine and strengthen these relationships? Sure. And I definitely want uh, Ginny to chime in here because she was really the brainchild behind much of that uh, event that we did. And we were so excited that Jocelyn was able to to join us there. Um, I'll just note that um, we have been hearing from all directions that trust is an issue. We know it. We hear it from our own members regularly. We were thrilled to have a keynote by Dr. Jan Berger, who has written uh, a really smart, accessible, readable book on the theme of trust in healthcare. We'd like to think that our members, because they're grounded in their local communities, they're not dipping in and out of different markets, depending on you know where the stock price is from day to day. So the fact that they are there on the ground in their communities, we think that's an important foundational element to the trusting relationship. We also think that because of the close partnership with the clinical teams on the ground, that also goes a long way in trust. But I would say that Vinny is working very closely with our members in terms of how we can ensure that so many of these developments in the technology and the data arena are going to be positives when it comes to trust, because there's a risk that it could also uh, take away. And I think that's where Ginny is spending a lot of her time right now. Yeah, I'll just quickly add that, you know, as Cece mentioned, one of the wonderful things about our member plans are these close relationships with their provider systems and provider groups. As you two very well know, that does not always mean that the technical infrastructure to have those two parties communicate with one another is there or works well. And so part of our goal with the conference was to really start having the conversations about what are some of the technical level kinds of changes that they can begin to make that will just make it easier for them to communicate with their providers that they value so much. And so I think we had a really good starting point. I'm really excited to keep the conversation going. That's great. And, uh, you know, I know in some of the work we do, we're starting to see payers, you know, really start to pay attention to that technical side as well. So it's great that you guys are supporting that. Um, Are there any specific initiatives or programs ACHP members 
have employed to improve that trust? Oh gosh, yes. There are there are so many, and I always encourage folks to go to our website where we have terrific case studies. So going back a couple of years now, with some funding from PCORI, we were able to do a very comprehensive look at the payer provider relationship, all about this model. And one of the central elements was how we can foster those trusting relationships that lead to better health. I'll mention, for instance, this is an example that comes from independent health up in Buffalo, but we saw it through a number of our member companies, especially during the pandemic. And that is really equipping providers with the data and information on their performance, on their members, how they're doing, so that the providers can then get really smart and targeted about their interventions which populations need outreach, for instance, a vaccination campaign. Health partners in Minnesota identified through data that they were initially missing communities of color when it came to COVID vaccination. With that data and information, they were able to really swoop in and close those gaps. An incredible success story built on the foundations of data and trust and, and the partnership, again, uh, as I mentioned, uh, independent health in Buffalo, working very closely with primary care physician group practices, providing data, sharing it, looking at it together in a very collaborative fashion, often with some additional dollars and resources, able to help those physicians really get at the patients that need specific interventions the most and do that through the primary care relationship. Those are a couple. I'm sure Jenny has more. I really want to highlight one other, which, and Jocelyn, you may remember this presentation from the summit, but um, one of our health plans, Dean Health Plan in the Wisconsin area, they started a ConnectRx program in, to address infant mortality in the state of Wisconsin. And what is so wonderful about this relationship is that it wasn't just Dean Health Plan and their members and their system side. It was the county's health council, it was uh, local providers and CBOs, and then other health plans. So this group initiative came together to address infant mortality in the Wisconsin area. And part of that included some manufacturing or modifying rather their epic platform and, and building up the capability so that they could all share and exchange data to identify individuals who are at risk and be able to target early interventions for those uh, for those folks. So again, you know, that's one of those things where it's a really simple use case, uh, very technically complex. I know Jocelyn laughed at simple, right? Because it's enormously complicated to actually come out with. But I think we're going to see more instances like that, um, particularly in the primary care space, particularly in the chronic condition space. We're already seeing a lot of IT sort of digital transformation as it relates to diabetes in particular, CHF. So I think that's sort of those smaller areas where health plans can really begin to tackle digital transformation are going to be what we see really expanding in the future. That's great. Um, so, Jocelyn, I, I would like you to comment. You know, I know in your program manager role in DaVinci, you're hyper-focused, right, on the payer-provider data exchange. So what are your thoughts about what Cece and Jenny shared? 
you know, it's interesting and having sitting, you know, with the team for two and a half days, right, which was awesome um, to sort of sort of soak in sort of what what this group is dealing with and how they're dealing with it, right, based on their position in the market. And there's a couple takeaways that I had sort of coming out of the May event and then really, I think, aligned with a lot of the things that we're seeing sort of in the larger, you know, market itself. And the first was um, they had a one of the results, I think, the surveying work that you guys had done in the industry was this really great presentation. And CC, I don't know if it was you were that or if it was a consultant that you guys had used, which was this idea that when the big nationals come into these regional markets and are, and, are, and are sharing information, that they're working as hard as possible to make themselves seem small and local. And they're doing things like, I'll use an example, the revolution here in Massachusetts are sponsored by United Healthcare, right? They have a big presence in the Boston area. But doing things like sponsoring local teams, getting involved in local charities to make themselves seem like part of the community, where in contrast, these small plans, regional plans are really connected to provider system plans, are spending all of this effort to make themselves seem bigger and seem wider and deeper, right, out into the market. So that juxtaposition is really interesting. And I think that, you know, and Ginny and I had some great dialogue and and uh, as you can imagine, me in a room with a bunch of small health plans was a really fun place to be for a couple of days to evangelize about like, come play, this stuff is getting real, right? Um, is this idea of like, I think for teams that are, you know, more resource constrained, that don't have access to capital or building national infrastructures, you know, there's really great news out here for these guys around wh what's happening with standards and this repeatability that we're seeing. So instead of people having to get approval to do, you know, just one of the projects that Ginny and CC are talking about, that literally if somebody does it once, they can do it with all the providers in their community or they can do it with all of the payers in their community and that that investment becomes reusable. So I think this ability, you know, sort of this agreement, you know, whether it's through um, our friends at the federal level encouraging us to move in a certain direction or whether it's, you know, really um, the innovative, you know, really tightly coupled plan provider relationships demonstrating sort of the reusability of the work that's emerging in the industry around things like DaVinci and other fire initiatives or just other standards initiatives. I think the promise of everybody being able to be at a level field and, and play bigger than they really are, I think is you know, sort of the sky's the limit for us at this point in time. And I, I think Jenny's right. Like we were literally just at the beginning of really seeing the promise of that come to reality. And, and it's a great community, I think, for, for us to be sort of waking up to think about, you know, how are you going to solve and face these regulatory challenges and, and opportunities that are coming your way? Yeah, great. Thanks, Joss. I think that, you know, the timing of this is, is just really ideal of kind of where you guys are at with that as well. So I want to move on to uh, the ACHP members and what you're doing around price transparency, or really the patient cost transparency front. Um, you know, I, I know on the pharmacy side, there's already CMS mandates in place for, you know, plans to have kind of this real-time benefit tool for providers to check on prescription pricing. Um, you know, there's a patient component to that as well. And of course, you know, we've got the shopping tools and uh, the upcoming mandates around advanced EOB and good faith estimate. So I'm just curious, um, you know, what are you seeing among your members? Um, and Ginny, I'm going to actually start with you this time, since I know there's a, a lot of this work is kind of tied up with uh, policy and compliance. So I'll start off by saying that ACHP members, actually many of them had price estimator or cost estimator tools prior to any regulations coming out, right? Before we saw the transparency and coverage regulation, so ACHP was coming out with a best practices guide for price transparency tools based on our member feedback. And essentially the guide was saying, these are the 
certain things that you need to follow and, and uh, create in order to get that good housekeeping stamp of approval for your price transparency tool. And then lo and behold, a few months, months later, we have the transparency and coverage rules and it's required for everybody. But we still felt like we were in a pretty good place because we knew a lot of our plans had sort of either they met all of the qualifications and requirements already, or they were pretty darn close. So really now it's just a matter of how can the folks that have those tools in place enhance them? How can they incentivize their use, both on the patient side and on the provider side? And then for the plans who maybe had less sophisticated tools, okay, now that is a conversation of how do you sort of turn that into a web-based portal or, or, or an app on the phone. So I'm not that worried about it, but I will say that I, I do have some hesitations and reserves when it comes to future regulations that we are expecting, particularly some of the overlap that was in the No Surprises Act, part of the Consolidated Appropriations Act, and what's in the transparency and coverage rule. I also think we just kind of are in a wait and see moment right now as it comes to price transparency for two reasons. The machine-readable files for health plans and those for hospitals, they're out. They're in the public. We know that companies are sifting through that data, and it is a ton of data, and it's going to take them probably months to do that. But we don't really know what they're going to find and what the results of that are going to be. And so I think plans are sort of eagerly awaiting to see what that result is. But then also on the price transparency tool side, as I mentioned, the tools developed Right? It's available for many health plans, um, if not all at this point. And now what really has to happen is consumer modification of their behavior mm-hmm. for these tools to be used and in a way that makes sense for them. So I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Jenny. Anything to add, Susie? Well, just to really underscore that uh, certainly we and our members think about transparency as more than just simply price transparency. And again, some of uh, the plans that are further along on this journey are incorporating quality information, for instance. And that's when you actually start to get at value. You know, healthcare is one of these funny worlds. I mean, often when we talk about transparency, it's defined, you know, the cheapest hotel or the cheapest flight or something. But then maybe you're shopping and you don't want the cheapest hotel. You want one with a good location or really comfortable bed and pillows. And that begins to get at the value equation. And it's the same in healthcare. So consumers are going to be looking for that package. Although it's interesting to us, even some of our members that have been at this the longest and and gotten very sophisticated and developed tools that are so easy to use, consumer uptake, very small, very slow. I'll mention, for instance, Priority Health in Michigan. They've been at this for years. It is a super slick tool. Even somebody like me can use it. You can put in, you know, your own information so that you're going to see where you are in the deductible, what might a copayment be, where are these services located? Maybe one is a mile from my house, 10 miles from my house. Maybe there's a virtual option, all of that great stuff. They then started putting in some financial incentives and they have seen some uptick in the utilization. But to Ginny's point about consumer behavior, it's going to take a long time and a big, big effort. So in the meantime, what is happening with those big files that are now out there in the public? And again, this is where a smaller nonprofit regional plan is probably disadvantaged because they don't have a lot of extra dollars to be sifting through all of these. 
Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Jocelyn, what are your thoughts here? Um, I think this is such an important point that CC makes, and I do think it's where the role of standardization is important because um, it's funny, when we took a step back from DaVinci, we actually had our steering committee make a statement to the market because people kept wanting us to solve what they anticipated might be in regulation someday. And we really had to keep pushing back against, you know, some of our really senior members that have been with the project from the very beginning to really focus on, no, we're trying to solve the problem. Like what are the rails we need to put in place so that this actually can be systemically solved, right? Because there's huge investment in the industry today. You can hear these guys talking about it, right? And we're not seeing sort of usage. So I think there's a couple of things that become important about this topic. I think that the ability to normalize the data so that the, the overhead or the cost to utilize it isn't just for the people that have the most money to spend to be able to sort of buy the time or the resources to be able to analyze the data. I think the other big shift, and I think that, um, you know, Priority has actually gotten involved in some of our conversations recently around price cost transparency on the use case. I was just talking with um, Vanessa uh, Candelor on our, on our team who runs that use case and is our SME on, on price, is, is this idea that the you really need to create the transparency to the patient at the point in time that they need the information, right? And that's that's the same for all of us, right? I mean, I am I the only mom that in Target is looking something up on Amazon to say, am I really paying this for Target or am I shopping for it later versus, you know, I'm on the way to a birthday party with my 10-year-old and I have to buy a present and I don't really care how much it costs. And oh, you wrap too? That's even better, right? So I think that, that this idea of freeing the data, leveraging technology to be able to do that, leveraging the learnings and the experience of what's worked and what hasn't worked in existing transparency tools is really important, but that it's really about, you know, workflow being king here, right? And this idea that how do we create what I refer to, and Cece, I really like the way you worded it, this, it's really information parity, right? So the, both the provider team or the patient have equal information about what is in a patient's benefits for real so that they can have that discussion either before a patient's seen, before while the patient's having a discussion about their, you know, sort of course of therapy or, or, or treatment plan that they're putting in place to say, you know what, hey, if you go here for your colonoscopy to this, you know, place that's outside of the healthcare system, there's going to be, everything's going to be covered. It's going to be 100%. You know, that's going to get you the, the behavior change that we're really looking for. Or, oh, you have a family history and we expect that you might have something going on. Okay, well, you understand that, you know, you might stay here at the local hospital, but if an intervention needs to happen, you know, you're, you may incur costs here. And this is the range of we think those costs are going to be. That's a conversation with the consumer at the point in time that gets at all that granularity that CC's talking about. You know, when I'm traveling with one group of people, I have different preferences about what I'm willing to put up with. And when I'm with a different group of people, I'll have, you know, I, I may want the posture, nicer, more expensive place, right, at the end of the day. And I think that, that when we think about healthcare decisions, it's not that they're that cut and dry, but I think it's about that information equity and really putting the rails in place so that data can be freed where we need it, when we need it. Um, as opposed to sort of where it is today. In most cases, is off on a portal someplace that I may or may not trust my input of the data to even make sure that I'm getting back accurate information about my own costs, right? Even though it's my tool for my payer that I'm using today, right? It's that merging of the administrative and the clinical data together that's really going to get us to success here. And, and I'm excited about that. I'm going to let Cece jump in. Well, I, I, and I am going to jump in, Jocelyn, on your great colonoscopy example, because again, some of our members are actually able to go even one step further. So Kaiser Permanente, we're a member here yeah. in Mid-Atlantic, 
it's not just where might you go for a colonoscopy, but hey, we're going to mail you the at-home test right. kit exact sciences. because yep. you qualify. You're not high risk. Here's yep. all of the information that I need. So it's helping me be a more health literate consumer taking really? control over my health in the convenience of my home on my schedule. So that's really, yes, it's about data and communication and trust, right? I trust that when KP sends me this information from my doctor saying this would be good for you to do, I do it. So win-win. Yeah, totally. I agree. also want to just add really quickly. Sorry, I know. It's such a good example. Go ahead. This conversation is great. Let's keep it going. But I, I think we should also just recognize, right, the point that Jocelyn was making about the information at the time when it's needed, right? Most of the time, that's when the patient is in the office talking to the doctor. Yeah. The potential for repairing trust in the healthcare system with that interaction of itself yep. is just incredible. And I think that just takes us back to our earlier conversation. Now, it has to be done right, right? If a patient has really negative pricing estimates that are astronomical, that's not going to repair their trust. But we have to get to that point where they can have that conversation, make a strategic care and financial plan. And then I think we really make some progress in that space in two fronts. I, I totally agree. And Pooja, I think this ties back to Pooja is like the queen of real-time benefit check um, in the industry. And I think that this ties back to, right? If you can have that realistic conversation, I think that we we need to acknowledge that part of us getting to value, right, in healthcare is about where do we put our resources and how do we acknowledge that what's covered by somebody's plan intrinsically affects what their options are and how adherent they are to whatever plan they come up with with their doctor, right? It's just reality, so. Yeah, absolutely. Good. No, this, this was great. And I love the whole concept of trust and, you know, just all of that just it just completely makes sense. So um, I am going to zoom us out a little bit, though. Uh, so I do want to talk about interoperability more generally and really how, uh, you know, the fact that there's more data flowing, right? And that requires a real shift in how stakeholders are operating, uh, you know, and how they do business. So I'm curious how you guys counsel your members um, to kind of approach this cultural shift if you do anything. Well, I think that Vinny probably has some really good substantive concrete messaging, but sort of up at the 30,000 foot level, we, we try to certainly share with our CEOs uh, that this is hard work. Think back to the fact that electronic health record adoption took about a decade, right? So change is hard, especially when it's something personal like your health care. So they really need to be kind of beating that drum consistently they need to be trying to help make it easy for patients and providers as, as they're going forward. But um, Jimmy probably has some magic plan. <laughs> I wish I had a magic plan. And honestly, my strategy right now is uh, continually beating the drum on this topic. I mean, it cannot be raised, in my opinion enough when we're talking to CEO and executive levels, right? Because when I start having conversations with folks who are more on the technical side or the policy side um, or consumer experience, they're excited. And so then I get excited talking to them, right? And it's, and it's really sort of a, a wonderful conversation. But then you have competing internal organizational priorities. And sometimes this topic does not always win out. And so it's really reminding CEOs and executives that this has to be priority one of five, not saying it's number one, but it has to be one of the five, right? And it needs to be on their horizon 
because it, as Cece noted, it's going to take a long time, right? We're at the beginning of this. It's going to take investment and time, resources, and workforce, and there's planning that has to go into that now, if not, you know, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you guys are seeing that on the, you know, on the, the smaller community health plan, but we also see it in, in the big organizations uh, that we or, work with as well. You know, they're kind of holding on to the old ways of doing things. And, uh, you know, even, uh, even if you can get to one department, it's always, you know, sometimes hard to get through that whole organization. So Jocelyn, um, I just want you to comment here as well. You know, are you seeing organizations embracing that cultural shift or is it still pretty early days? You know, I think that there are early adopters and we're seeing organizations that are really understanding sort of the systemic change, right? I think Ginny and, and Cece have a really great perch in the industry to be able to see sort of this tide that's coming towards us. And I think that there are individuals and individual organizations that really get that from top to bottom. And we're getting to see that, but we're still seeing plenty of check the box. And I find it ironic. I if we think about, you know, what's happened in the industry and, and really this sort of unprecedented alignment between ONC and CMS of really laying out where things are headed from a regulatory perspective. It does still surprise me that folks are taking the check, up, check the box approach, but I wholeheartedly agree with Cece and JD. I think that this is about evangelizing and painting that picture forward, helping people understand what the roadmap work is and in really amplifying sort of what is coming out of Washington, because I, I don't personally understand anybody that's reading regs these days, don't see that, you know, that CMS and H and really HHS, ONC overall are pushing us to APIs, pushing us to fire, pushing us to the patient being the center of things. And so, you know, I think that that idea of, you know, getting, you know, at that CEO level, I think is incredibly important CTO level of, you know, how are you starting that transformation? Because candidly, most of this isn't about the technology implementation. Anybody can stand up a server, right, and put it in place. It's really about the accompanying business transformation that these organizations are really facing, right? Ginny, you know, the, the content you put out in May is exactly the type of stepping stone sort of challenging sort of conversation to have with this community to say, you know, what is it that you're doing? Because everybody's in a different place. Like everybody got to stay through a different way of working. What are you doing today to get yourself from here to what we can see is going to be on the horizon? And, and I personally think, and I, I, I think that everybody on the phone would, you know, agree to some, you know, some, some, some level that, you know, the folks that make the decisions to the investment and to be ahead of the curve are going to better control their destiny. And I feel like the feds are listening, right? They're looking for industry to lead here. And so sort of the ball is in our court to draw those pictures and to, to show the industry where to head. But, um, you know, organizations all have very different personalities and are at different places in their evolution. So, you know, people will have to choose, you know, whether they're going to drive or whether they're going to follow. So, yeah, great. Well, I feel like we could keep talking all day. Oh, this has been wonderful. <laughs> and I know, Cece, you said at the beginning, you know, you'll probably learn some stuff. I have to tell you, you know, from my seat, this has been amazing because, you know, we're so used to working with some of the larger plans and kind of their views. So hearing kind of the, the community health plan and your, you know, kind of you, from your seat, especially on all these topics, it's just been great. So I agree. really appreciate it. So um, as we close out, I want to make sure, you know, if there's any um, final messages or kind of calls to action um, that you want to send to the industry, to our audience, um, Cece, I'm going to start with you and then go to Jenny. Well, I think this is an incredibly exciting time, maybe a little bit unnerving as well. And so appreciate the work that you all do, especially on DaVinci and some of the other initiatives right now. 
maybe I would just offer up um, a bit of a little slogan that whenever somebody joins ACHP, they, they get a little laminated card with this. And it, it's a little bit of my mantra, which is think big, start small, act fast. I love that. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. All right, Jenny, any final, final comments? Oh, this is such a bad thing to follow up on um, based on what Cece just said, but I, I was actually planning to say that we're going to need some patience in this space <laughs> <laughs> because I think, you know, we are thinking big, we are excited, we want to act fast, and, and, I, and we should do those things. They will just take time, right? Like, and, and I think our plans recognize that, and they're the ones who continue to beat that drum with us. And so I think it's important that when we're having these conversations with, you know, external stakeholders, the industry and CMS and ONC and HHS just in general, like, just remember, folks, this will take a while. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It'll probably be like five to 10 years from now. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think all of us that have been in this industry for a while probably recognize that, but it's, it's, it's hard to remember sometimes. So. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I just want to thank uh, our guests. I want to thank our my PCOP uh, co-host and our interop expert, Jocelyn Keegan. Like I said, this has been just a wonderful conversation and, and really appreciate uh, you guys joining us today. And uh, thanks to our audience for tuning in. Uh, so just a friendly reminder uh, to any new listeners, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to pick up your podcasts. Um, and we are also on the Healthcare Now radio and podcast channel. Um, we also post our videos, um, the videos of our podcast episodes to our uh, YouTube channel. And sometimes they're actually longer versions. Um, so if you're interested in that and uh, watching and listening, uh, you can do that as well. And just as a final note, don't forget, Health IT is a dish best served hot. Is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at PUCP.com to learn more about our new interoperability outlook subscription monitoring service. 